Amen. I do love to think about hymns and where they came from. People didn't make these words up with no inspiration. And of course, in the last verse of that hymn, you're essentially singing about John 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. In the passage we read together tonight, we read about a shepherd. Of course, not long a shepherd because the King David was called away from his flock. And he was called to lead the people of Israel. We want to come this evening and look at the passage where we see David and Mephibosheth meeting one another and just to work our way through the passage and to see certainly a picture of salvation in these events. Let's bow our heads in prayer and let's ask God to draw near. Our Father in heaven, we come unto thee, O Lord, the one who is the shepherd and the bishop, the overseer of our souls. And Lord, you know every soul in this meeting You know us so much better than we know ourselves. And we pray, Lord, that what is considered, what is preached, what is heard, would be good to the flock. That it would be food for this flock. And that it would be, oh Lord, even like a shepherd going out and seeking a lost sheep and bringing it into the fold. Oh Lord, go out and seek that lost one, even as the word is preached now. I pray that you would do it for your own glory and for the extension of your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The ancient nation that we know so well as Israel anointed their first king, who was a man called Saul, approximately 1000 BC. And that now is about 3000 years ago. 3000 years. And at first, if you know the story of Saul, you'll know that he ruled well. He began well, but he had tendencies to be headstrong and to be rash in the way he did things. Particularly on one occasion, he proceeded to offer sacrifices himself instead of waiting for Samuel. And from that time on, Saul began to lose the favor of God. Then the Bible introduces us to another young man who bursts onto the scene scene of national Israel as the savior of the Israelite army because he was the only one who was brave enough and trusted enough in the Lord. He gave him such bravery to go and to face Goliath, the terrifying, enormous, undefeated giant of the Philistine army. And it was at that time, immediately after he defeated uh, Goliath, that David met Jonathan, the son of this first king, Saul. Jonathan and David became inseparable friends. They couldn't be parted. And while at the beginning of his relationship with David, King Saul loved this young man, he soon began to realize that David's popularity among the people and his good character made him essentially a political rival. And so Saul and David began not to be so close because of Saul's jealousy towards this young man. And that began a long feud between the houses of Saul and David. As time passed, sadly, we read towards the end of the book of 1 Samuel of Saul, who was still the reigning king, and Jonathan, his son, being killed in battle with the Philistines, their sworn, one of their worst enemies. And after Jonathan died, we read of David grieving for him. He says of Jonathan, very pleasant hast thou been unto me. He had lost his best friend. And the death of Saul and his son Jonathan meant that in Israel, the balance of power then swung very much in favor of the house of David. 
2 Samuel 3 in verse 1 tells us, There was long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, but David waxed stronger and stronger. And as time proceeded, David saw off the challenge of another of Saul's sons, and then he was able to capture the stronghold of Jerusalem, establish himself there as the king over a unified country of Israel. And at this point, he was essentially unchallenged for the leadership of that nation. 2 Samuel 5 now, we're coming closer to our chapter from which our text is taken. 2 Samuel 5 verse 10, And David went on and grew great, and the Lord God of hosts was with him. But while David was growing great, and his house was enjoying prosperity, Saul's house was growing even more poor. And then we read earlier in this book of when Saul died in 2 Samuel 4, when Saul died and when the news of his death and Jonathan's death reached the palace, that this young man called Mephibosheth, who at that time was just a little boy, around five years old, was picked up by his nurse and she ran for their lives. And then, sadly, she dropped the little boy and from that time he suffered injuries that left him lame on both feet. Now in 2 Samuel 9, Mephibosheth is living in a place called Lodabar. The Hebrew word means no pasture. No pasture. I was just remarking to someone yesterday how Northern Ireland is a place where the idea of no pasture is almost unimaginable. When, when we have droughts, the grass is still pretty green. Other countries have droughts and the grass is withered. It's dead. There's no moisture in it at all. But this place where Mephibosheth lived was called no pasture. And this is no pasture in an eastern country. Israel, it's hot, it's dry, it's surrounded by nations where there are huge swathes of desert. And so no pasture means no pasture. I'll take it at face value. Living in such a place would mean, therefore, that it would be no real, goose, no real use for raising livestock. You can't feed them, at least not easily. And in a time when most people would keep at least a few animals in order to simply get by and have the sustenance, the basic food, the milk that they needed every day to live and to feed their children... Having no pasture was a big problem. This was not a wealthy area. Lodabar was, in Northern Irish terms, the back end of nowhere. It was a place of poverty. It was a place of hunger. And if you think then of what Mephibosheth, as a five-year-old, was enjoying, being in the palace in Jerusalem, the center of it all, of Israel's activity, of its governance, and now he's on the other side of the River Jordan. He's cut off from the king. He's cast out of the king's court. He's lost all his riches, all his inheritance. And he's living in a place where there isn't even pasture. This is essentially a story of a cripple and a king. Two people who are so, such opposites. They're so very different. And yet in this story, we find them coming together and being united. And by the time we end our reading in verse 7, we find that David says to Mephibosheth, the cripple, the poor man, the one who had lost everything, thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. How did this happen? And what can we learn from this? Because in this, there is the whole message of salvation. There is the whole message, the central message of the Bible. The theme of salvation. If you look again at verse 1 with me, please, in 2 Samuel 9, you'll see that it says, And David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. When you end the previous chapter, you end of David carrying out his kingly activities and he's conquering enemies and there's no mention of Saul and his family. And then chapter 9 verse 1 begins, 
with this important fact that I want you to get hold of. David took the initiative. In the story of the cripple and the king, in the message of salvation, it's the king who took and takes the initiative. David took the initiative. It wasn't Mephibosheth who came looking for David. No, it was the other way around. You would quickly realize that since Mephibosheth's family, his family had been at war with David, that it would have been a good idea for Mephibosheth to keep a low profile and to stay out of the way. If he had returned to the city, there's no knowing what would have happened to him. At best, you would expect he would have been banished and sent away again. And Mephibosheth Mephibosheth did not seek David. He did not seek the king. And this reflects the spiritual reality that sinners do not seek God. The Bible teaches us this. Sinners do not in and of themselves seek God because the Bible tells us, Romans 3 verse 11, black and white, there is none that seeketh after God. Now that does not mean that you will never find people who have understood that they need to be saved and will come and say, I want to be saved. I want to know more about Jesus Christ, about this one who you proclaim to be your Lord. But that is not a sinner. That is not a sinner in their natural state without any grace of God. That's a someone who has received the grace of God, who has received God's revelation, which is itself gracious, and now has been taught of what they need. Left to themselves, no sinner ever seeks God. Romans 3 verse 11 and in the Psalms as well. You can go further than this. The sinner is actually at war with God because Romans 8 and verse 7 says, The carnal mind is enmity against God. Mephibosheth was not seeking David. They were enemies. And the sinfulness that I was born with means that my natural condition was of an enemy, was that of an enemy to God. Left to myself, I would never have acknowledged that God was the sovereign rule of the universe. I would never have sought him. Rather, I would do what the Bible tells us the Gentiles do, Romans 1, that I would suppress my conscience, that I would do whatever I wanted, that I would gratify all my selfish desires and lusts and sin and break God's law and be very happy doing that because that's exactly who I was born. I was born a sinner and so were all of you. We don't desire God left to ourselves. We don't desire a personal relationship with him. We would not desire to be brought into God's court. We would not desire to sit at God's table and eat of God's bread because we're born sinners. And this is why David took the initiative. They would never have been brought together otherwise. Luke chapter 19 and verse 10 tells us of the greater David, David's descendant, son of David. Luke 19, verse 10, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. Who's doing the seeking and the saving? It's God. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And we sing, I once was lost, but now I'm found. We didn't find God by searching. He found us. That's what John Newton meant when he wrote the hymn. And I want to ask you this evening, have you been found? Have you been found by God? Or are you still lost? Going your own way happy in sin. Perhaps there is someone here tonight who is curious, who is interested in what the Bible has to say about their soul and about the way of salvation. And if you're seeking God this evening in that sense, that, as I said earlier, is an evidence of God's work and God's grace to you. It's a sign that God has already taken the initiative with you and begun to work in your heart by his Holy Spirit. 
and by what you know of the Scriptures. And if you are burdened, take that as a positive thing tonight and come and seek more and find out more and seek the king. This story is all about what David did for Mephibosheth. David took the initiative and perhaps then to move a step further, we would ask the question, why? Why did David take the initiative? After all, why would a rich, powerful, and and all-controlling king really worry about this cripple, this man over in Lodabar, who could do nothing for him, who couldn't offer him anything, who was in fact a member of a rival family? Do you see the parallel between God and sinners? Why would God take the initiative? Why would the Lord Jesus come and seek us? Well, we can see the answer in this chapter. 2 Samuel 9 and verse 1. Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? There's the key. David was acting for Jonathan's sake. And if you want to think of it in that theological sense, very good way to think of it, of course, is that David acted because of a covenant, an agreement. He didn't act randomly. He didn't act spontaneously, but he acted because of a covenant, because he says, I will show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. And I've already mentioned how strong the friendship was between those two men. But David refers to a specific covenant that was formed and entered into between him and his best friend Jonathan, and you'll find that in 1 Samuel 20, verses 15 and 16. Let's read those together. 1 Samuel 20 and verse 15. We read about a meeting when David and Jonathan spoke to one another in secret out in the field where, there, where, where Saul could not find them and Saul's servants would not see them. Second Samuel 20, 1 Samuel 20 and verse 15. Jonathan speaks. And he says to David, But also thou shalt not cut off thy kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord hath cut off the enemies of David, every one from the face of of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, Let the Lord even require it at the hand of David's enemies. And it was because of this covenant that David was bound, duty bound, to be kind to the house of Saul and to the descendants of Jonathan long after Saul and Jonathan were gone. And that's why he took the initiative in the case of Mephibosheth. He showed kindness for the sake of Jonathan. And so it is this evening when God seeks and saves sinners. He does it because of a covenant. He does it because Father, God the Father, and God the Son entered into an an agreement, a covenant with each other to save lost sinners. John 17 and verse 24, in Christ's prayer, he prays, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am. He's praying for all of his people. All those who are here tonight who are his people, he's praying there for you. All those who have yet to be saved, who are included in that covenant of grace, who are God's covenant people and are yet to be saved, Christ prays for them here. God forgives sinners, Paul says in Ephesians 4 and verse 32, for Christ's sake. Even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Why did David forgive Mephibosheth, the the family guilt? Why did he not hold it against him? Because of Jonathan. Why does God forgive us our sins? Because of Jesus Christ. Because he made a covenant with Jesus Christ. 
God is in covenant with his own dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus has done everything that the covenant requires him to do. Jesus Christ kept the law in every point, every little detail. He never let slip the smallest thing. He never committed even the smallest sin. He did everything proactively that the law of God required him to do, which is to our minds completely unfathomable. You and I can't imagine doing everything proactively with our lives and the time and energy God has given us that we possibly ever could have done. We've left out so many things that we could have done for God. Christ never left out anything good. He never did anything bad. And it is because he offered that perfect life to God as a sacrifice and God was satisfied with the value of that sacrifice which paid for the sins of all his people that God therefore must save sinners who trust in Jesus Christ. You want to be sure of salvation. You want eternal security tonight which some many churches tell you you can't have and you'd be presumptuous to think you had. The Bible doesn't agree with that. The Bible tells me that I can know and that I may know that I have eternal life and I can only have it in Jesus Christ. God takes the initiative with sinners. God saves sinners because of a covenant, just like David and Jonathan. We've answered the question, why, at least briefly. And now I want to answer the question, how, in this matter of David and Mephibosheth, the cripple and the king, and in concerning our salvation. How did David bring Mephibosheth to himself? You'll find it in verse 5. Then King David sent and fetched him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. And when we read that David sent for Mephibosheth, we're reminded, of course, that God sends for sinners. Those who do not seek him need to be sent for. And Mephibosheth was a cripple. He couldn't bring himself to David. He couldn't walk to Jerusalem. He didn't have the means to perhaps pay someone to bring him to Jerusalem. He needed the ability to come. And in salvation, in my salvation, in the salvation of every believer, God the Holy Spirit worked in me and Christian. He worked in you and gave us the ability to come, which is called faith. He gave us the instrument by which we would lay hold on Jesus Christ. He gave it to us. We didn't come in our own strength. And Mephibosheth didn't get to Jerusalem by his own strength. It says King David sent and fetched him. Faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace. It's given freely to us. And it's by that faith that we receive Christ and rest upon him alone for salvation. Ephesians 2 and verse 8. For by grace are ye saved. How? Through faith. It is the gift of God. Sinner, like Mephibosheth, who received that invitation to the court of the king, you are tonight receiving an invitation to come and to be part of the family of God. Although you are part of the family of sin, if I can just call it that, like the house of Saul was to David, enemies, having done much wrong, many sinful acts, many hateful acts towards David and his family. In spite of that sin, in spite of that enmity, God has made a way whereby you can be saved. And you know all that you have to do tonight is to simply come at the call of God. Accept his offer. 
just as Mephibosheth had only to accept the offer because King David sent and fetched him and he brought him to himself. You'll see the result of this faith, the result of Mephibosheth accepting the offer of the king. It is, in our final thought this evening, that Mephibosheth came and was made rich. He, has, he, we, he, he began this story as a cripple in Lodabar with no prospects, just simply living out his days in a sad existence with a very bleak ending. And then King David stepped into his life and David took the initiative and he did so because of a covenant and he sent and fetched Mephibosheth and did everything for him. And the final result of this is that Mephibosheth came and was made rich. And this is just simply the story of salvation acted out in the lives of a cripple and a king. Verse 6 and 7 of 2 Samuel 9. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold thy servant. Mephibosheth comes and is greeted by the king by name. Don't think this evening, sinner, that God doesn't know anything about you. He knows everything about you. And we can take this and apply it to you this evening that if you were to come to Jesus Christ tonight and bow the knee to him and accept him as Savior and confess him to be your Lord, he would know you so intimately and accept you so fully that it would just be like David greeting Mephibosheth and calling him by his first name though perhaps they had never met before. He just says his name. It's so intimate. Imagine this meeting where David, in the human level, David is meeting the son of his best friend. He's never perhaps seen the young man before. Years have gone by. Mephibosheth has now grown up, and there had to have been a resemblance in Mephibosheth to David's best friend, Jonathan. What a special meeting it was. How much it meant to David to see his friend's son and to be able to do something for him. Do you know the picture we're given of the shepherd, the one who seeks out lost sheep, the one who seeks out lost sinners, the Lord Jesus, is of one who gathers the, gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them in his bosom. Can you not see the love that David had for Mephibosheth here? Does that not teach you about the love of Jesus Christ for sinners? That is a love the only love that really you can find in this life because no one else loves the way Jesus Christ loves. He's the lover of my soul. He's the friend of sinners. He's the one who, because of love, came and suffered and died. Mephibosheth came. He was accepted and he was made rich. In this story, we find that David told him in verse 7, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father. And I don't know how much that was, but Saul was a king. So we'll keep it simple. It was a lot of land. And Mephibosheth got it all back. And you know, all that Adam and Eve had before the fall, before they sinned and broke God's one very simple commandment, there was so much. They were put in dominion over the whole earth. And in this, we are reminded that 
Man who was made to glorify and to enjoy God and who walked with God and enjoyed unbroken communion with him in a beautiful place. Who lost all that because of sin. Well man, you and I Christian are in the process of having that all restored by grace. We haven't received the fullness of these blessings yet, but we will. It's coming. God is going to restore unto us all the land of Adam, our father. We're going to get it all back and more. So much more. Because like Mephibosheth, we will be brought into personal, unbroken, intimate fellowship with the King of Kings for all of eternity. We will eat bread at his table continually. We'll have far more than Adam had. Because we will have all this and an absolute security that we will never fall. Adam didn't have that. He fell. For those of us who are saved, who have been brought by the king acting on his initiative because of covenant providing faith by which we come, who makes us so rich we will be kept with a total security. And we will never lose it. This is what the king does for the cripple. Out of the riches of God's grace, believers, we've been brought out of poverty into a position of spiritual richness. Paul preached about the unsearchable riches of Christ. And surely you're reminded of that when you read about David telling Mephibosheth, thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. Men and women this evening, if you would have true satisfaction for your soul, a soul that was made in the image of God, a soul that can never be satisfied without Christ, then you must come. You must trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because only Christ is the bread of life. Only the soul that feeds on Christ shall never hunger. Only the soul who drinks of the water of life shall never thirst. And only the person who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ shall never perish. And so tonight you could not remain in your sin. You could not remain in Lodabar, in the place of no pasture, the place where your soul is dead and dying. You could come to the mighty king. You could be brought by faith into his courts and given a place at his table for all of eternity. Just come and trust the Lord Jesus Christ tonight. I won't overcomplicate it. I'm here to talk to you and I would be delighted to do so. So just have a word with me at the door and tell me that you want to talk more. You'll be put under no pressure. It would be my honor to serve you for the Lord's sake and for the sake of your soul. Let's bow and close our meeting in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we come to thee this evening. We thank you for this picture of the grace of God and salvation, of exactly what it is that God has done for sinners. Oh Lord, it's only a small part of it. But we see here the principles of it, the truth of Scripture, the truth of the message of salvation. That salvation is of the Lord. And we thank you, Father, for your provision for our lost souls, for all the spiritual riches that we've been given, for the truth that we feed on from day to day and how it does our hearts good and how it fills us up and satisfies us. O oh Lord, forgive us for our foolishness when we stray from the fountain where we have the water of life, or we have the bread of life, 
those things that we know are so satisfying and yet, Lord, sometimes we stray and we are tempted. Sometimes we fall into sin. Lord, we thank you that we are not kept by our own power, but we are kept by the power of God. That when we come to thee in prayer, we come to the one who is able to keep us from falling, who will present us before the throne of God. Lord, we look forward to that day when all is made new, when we have that blessed state of perfection, when we are with our Savior for all of eternity, never again to struggle with sin. What a wonderful day that will be. Oh Lord, help us in the time that we've been given to walk well, to walk worthy of our calling, to walk before the men and women of Cross Gar as those who are the ambassadors of Jesus Christ. And may they see that we serve a gracious and a loving King who graciously, lovingly draws sinners to himself. Oh Lord, be pleased to use us. Be pleased to use this congregation and this ministry in this church for the extension of your kingdom. Please, Lord, take us to our homes in safety. Accept our thanks for the the blessings we have received today and keep us in the fear of God and in thy favor. Until we meet again, we pray in Jesus' name.